I want to share with you a word that spoke to me this week, and I'm going to talk about it at the end of my sermon. I was going to leave it towards the end, but as we were singing today, I, I just felt like I wanted to, to share this word with you at the beginning. Um, it's the word devotion. I came across a, a passage, a verse this week that um, I just had never remembered reading before. It's from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And he says this to this church that he loves. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be distracted from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is warning them that their minds are very easily distracted from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And I just sense this morning a spirit of devotion to him. And so whatever the Lord was doing in you, may it carry over into this next week as you be sure to not be distracted from that pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Before we hear the scripture read this morning from our, our brother Phil, um, I want to share a few words, um, a bit more teaching like we did last week from the exciting world of biblical language translation. So last week we talked about some of the different uh, words that are translated as God in the Hebrew Bible, Elohim, Adonai, Adonai, Elohim, and Yahweh. And I want to share a little bit about this because it's important for us as we look at the scripture text that we're going to look at this morning from John chapter 8. And so I'm going to say some things right now that may seem to not really matter much to you. They may seem to be like, I don't know, in the world of, of Greek Bible nerds or something like that, but they're important. And I just wanted to share them with you uh, so that you can have a better understanding of the context of John chapter 8 and the, the text that Phil will read for us in a couple minutes. So 250-ish years before Jesus was born, there was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that was translated called the Septuagint. So 250 years before Jesus was born, a group of scholars got together and said, we want Greek readers to be able to read the Hebrew Bible. And so just as we are dependent on the translators of, the, uh, of our English Bibles to translate the Hebrew and Greek so that we can read the Bible, back 250 years before, they wanted um, Greek readers to be able to read the Hebrew Bible. And so they translated this, uh, the Old Testament, into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And many of the earliest Christians, this was their Bible. In the same way that the English our English Bibles are our Bibles that we read today. The Septuagint was the Bible for many of the earliest Christians. At the very end of our scripture reading today from John chapter 8, I would encourage you to open your Bibles there right now. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation, a long dialogue between some of the, the crowds of people in the temple and the religious leaders of the day. And he makes this incredible statement at the very end of his argument with them. He says this, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. This English phrase, I am, in Greek is ego eimi, ego eimi. And it is the translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. 
And I wanted to introduce you to that today because it's really the most important part of the sermon that we're going to hear today. In this story in John chapter 8, Jesus is making his clearest and most explicit claim to his divinity by saying that he is the I am of Exodus chapter 3. So with that in mind, would uh, you please now listen well to Phil as he reads from John chapter 8. We're reading from John chapter 8, starting with the 31st verse. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what, what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever be obeys my word will, not, will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. And yet you say, whoever believes or whoever obeys your word will never taste death. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Lord, we pray that we would hear your word spoken to us today and that it would be an encouragement and a challenge for us as we seek to live lives of pure and sincere devotion to you. Amen. So again, this scripture reading today comes um, at the very end of a, a very long conversation that Jesus is having in the temple. And everyone is trying to figure out who this guy Jesus is. He speaks completely different than anybody else. There's rumors that he has healed a blind person. He's making claims about himself that sound a lot like what the prophets of the Old Testament said about what the Messiah was going to be like. And so they're trying to figure out who he is. And it's a very long and drawn out conversation. I think it's the most in-depth dialogue that we have in all of the scriptures. I couldn't remember another example in the scriptures of a longer back and forth dialogue between two different people. And what we find in this story is that there are many of these people that are talking to Jesus in this dialogue that are open to him. They're curious about who he is. They're, they're ready to receive him. They're drawn to him, and he's giving them some hope. Our scripture reading said today, at the very beginning, verse 31 even said, to those who had believed in him. It seems there were some in the crowd that were listening to his words and were beginning to give their heart to him, give their minds to him, willing to follow him or to be his disciples in some way. But this interaction that he has with those people who had believed in him, it turns pretty contentious pretty quick, right? Because in the last part of this chapter, Jesus presses his identity beyond being a great teacher, beyond being a great prophet, beyond just being a good human being that people should follow. In the last part of this chapter, Jesus begins to suggest that he is the unique son of God that he is uniquely one with the Father, and that their unbelief, that their resistance to him is a reflection that they do not know God themselves, but are actually children of the devil. When you say that to people, they tend to get angry, and they did, okay? The crowds begin to turn on him at this moment. They begin to throw some insults at him. Aren't you a Samaritan? Aren't you demon-possessed? We know we're not illegitimate children, but we kind of know your background, right? They begin to insult him, and Jesus just continues to press in. He, he doubles down on who he is. And he begins to get very direct at the very end. And he, he slows down and he says, truly, truly. In Aramaic, it's amen, amen. 
listen. This is the most solemn introduction that Jesus can give to the words that he's about to say. Amen, amen. Please be quiet. Please listen. I am telling you the truth. You need to listen to me. Before Abraham ever was, I am. That phrase sounds just as awkward in the Greek language as it does in the English. Jesus is talking in the past tense. You expect him to say, what would be a crazy thing to hear is that before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I existed, continuing to speak in past tense. But that's not what Jesus does. He is explicitly clear here because he wants to associate his person with the divine name I am. Before Abraham was, I was. That's what we expect to hear. But that's not what he says. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus' relationship to time is different than a creature. His relationship to time is always and ever present, just like the God at the burning bush who came to Moses and said, My name is I am. I was and I always was. I am and I always am. I will be and I always will be. I will always be the one I was. I will always I can't do all of this. I will be the one I was, always am what I will be, always be the one I was and the one that I am. Did you get all that down in your notes? So I practiced it a lot this week and still couldn't say it all, okay? And Jesus is saying exactly the same thing here about himself. I was and I always was. I am and I always am. I will be and I always will be. I will always be the one I was. I am the one I was, and I am the one I will be. And I will be the one I am and the one that I was. I did it. (laughs) Jesus is saying this about himself. And Jesus identifies himself clearly and without apology or hesitation with the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. The name that God gave to Moses about himself Jesus takes the name on himself. And the crowds are beginning to be curious about him, beginning to wonder if he was a prophet, maybe something they could put their faith and their hope and their trust in. And then he says these words, here I am. And so they take up stones and they try to kill him. In the next year, we're going to run into trials and disappointments. We're going to suffer. We're going to fail. When we look around at our world and we shake our heads and we wonder what's happening, I want us to hear today and know that the I am is holding all things together. And that is important for us to know, and it's important for us to place our trust in the I am who is in control, in the I am who is working out all things for his good. That is an important and it's a good message today, but it's a sermon for a different day. The message for today is not that the I am has all things in his hand, is holding all things together. We'll probably get to that in the next few weeks. The message for today is this, that because of Jesus, you can come to know the I am personally. The great I am is far beyond our ability to reach. The great I am is beyond our capacity to know or to understand. 
The great I am is hidden in his glory and his majesty. The creator is outside of his creation and we cannot see him. We do not have any hope to know him, to touch him, to understand who or what or how the I am is. Except the I am came to reveal himself to us in Jesus. The only way to know the I am is through the grace of I am who chose to, through his grace and mercy, become one of us and reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The only way to know the I am is through Jesus. John Calvin, the the great reformer, said, unless we look straight toward Christ as we are seeking for God, unless we look straight toward Christ, we shall wander through endless labyrinths. But Jesus reveals the I am to us. I want to look at three other verses that I just want to read to you. Other passages in the New Testament that communicate this message that Jesus is the I am. John chapter 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. This one has made him known. John 1, 18. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been, been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The way that God has primarily and ultimately chosen to reveal himself is through Jesus. Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is not just a good teacher who tells us about God. He is God who shows us what I am is like. Jesus is not merely a prophet who speaks words from God to us. He is the word of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son has made him known. Jesus does not only tell us about I am, he is I am in the flesh. Jesus is the radiance of I am's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus, the son, is not only a man, not merely a prophet. He is God in the flesh, the exact representation of God. If you want to know what I am is like, his character, how he likes, what he, how he acts, how he loves, what makes him angry, you can look at Jesus. There is nothing that Jesus did that was outside of the character of I am. We can say that Jesus is like I am, and we can also say the reverse. The I am is like Jesus. 
As we look at the gospel stories, the character and power and heart of I am is revealed to us in his life. I began our sermons over the last two weeks by soberly reminding us of the trials and troubles that are coming in 2024. And some of those trials and troubles are simply par for the course of living in a fallen world. In this world, we will have trouble and all of us will have a taste of it. But it also seems that there is more coming as we look to the ongoing conflicts that we see throughout the world in Israel and Palestine, in Ukraine, in the tinderbox that is China and Taiwan right now, and a U.S. election that will likely produce violence in some way or another in our country. And I want to say to us, friends, that we have a calling as a church to respond and to live and to act in a unique way in these times. Our calling is to be people who don't live in fear, but who live in patient confidence in God, no matter the circumstances. Our calling as a church is to demonstrate, no matter the circumstances, the fruit of the Spirit toward our neighbor and toward one another. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the only way that we can be those sorts of people, the only way that we can have that sort of fruit come out of us is if we know I am and abide in him. Not just about him, not just words about him, but people who know him and who are fully devoted to him. And we come to know I am by looking at Jesus. How did Jesus respond to trials? How did he respond to the suffering around him? How did Jesus respond to his enemies? How did he respond to those who disagreed with him? As we look at the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, we learn about the character of I am. We learn about the power of I am, the authority of I am. Jesus, the I am, is the one who can simply say to the storm, be still, and it is still. And that same one who has that kind of power and authority is the exact same one who sees a woman who has been crippled for 18 years and who has compassion on her and goes to her and heals her. It's the same one. This Jesus who rebukes the religious leaders of his day, the one who challenges power and authority when it is exercised in ways that harms people, is the same one who exercises authority by getting down on his knees and washing his disciples' feet. In the next few weeks, we are going to be focusing on coming to know I am through who Jesus says he is. And so we've started this morning by looking at John 8, where he says, before Abraham was born, I am. And in the rest of the Gospel of John, there are moments where Jesus makes it clear who he is. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the true vine. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I am the resurrection and the life. Over the next couple of months, we're going to look at each one of those in turn so that we can better come to know and devote ourselves to this one I am. 
And so last week, I finished our sermon by reminding us that in this new year, we're going to face trials and trouble, suffering all around us, and it's going to be very noisy. And it's going to be difficult at times to hear from God, and it's going to be important for us to to leave the noise and the clatter and the distraction and to be quiet in order to hear from God. And I want to build on that today as we consider what it means for us to be devoted to God. Turn again to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to reclaim this word devotion for us. I think sometimes when we use words a lot, we kind of forget what they mean. They just kind of become vague in our minds. And so in our evangelical Christian world, we talk about having our devotions or we buy a devotional. And I just want us to recover this word devotion. When I think of the word devotion, I think of the word attention. I think of the word focus. Second Corinthians eleven three, Paul says, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be distracted from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I just want to say that I share Paul's fear. I share Paul's fear for myself. I share Paul's fear for my family. I share Paul's fear for you. The world is very, very noisy. We've been given a demon of distraction in our pockets. It's in our hands for hours a day that gives us what we want and that shows us what we hate. We have entertainment more and more that can, more than we can imagine that dulls our minds. And then we have information and news that flares up our anger. We're exposed to violence and sex over and over and over throughout our days. It's so easy to be distracted and so very hard to give our sincere and pure devotion our attention to Christ. Devotion means full attention, full commitment. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is expressing his fear that the trials and troubles and temptations of the world will distract this church that he loves from their single-minded, wholehearted, sincere, and pure devotion to Christ. And so I want to acknowledge that fear that I have for you and offer it to you, offer Paul's words of warning to you and to me, that we would not allow ourselves to be led astray, to be distracted by the noise that we are no doubt going to hear and experience throughout our year. And as these things become difficult, it's going to be easy for us, for our attention to be distracted to one thing or another. And the calling that I want to remind us of today is to to devote ourselves to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the exact representation of God's being, who is like I am. Through sheer grace, I am has chosen to make himself known to us in Jesus. And so the invitation for each one of us is that through all the distractions and trials, the trouble, the suffering that we may experience throughout this year is to give our full attention, our full devotion to him. 
Would you join me right now and pray as we ask that the Spirit would help us to give this devotion to Him? Lord, we do confess that we are distracted people. Lord, help us to name and recognize those distractions in our life. Lord, help us to see where our attention is short for you and long for other things. And God, I pray that you would protect us from the serpent who led Eve and Adam astray, who caused us to be distracted and apart from our sincere and pure devotion to you. So we ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen.